to me back. And um, so some of you have had the opportunity to meet. Some of you, um, if you haven't met me yet, I am your adopted missionary to the university campuses in uh, this region. And um, it, it, like I said, about once a year, I, I'm able to come back and, and share a little bit about what God's doing. So I want to do that for a moment, share with you a couple things that God's doing around on our campuses. And then I want to get into the message, which I, I'll be honest, I really kind of struggled with. Uh, the, I I just I had something on my heart. I just was one of those things where I was like, Man, "Is this the one?" And then so much of what already has happened here today. I keep turning to my friend. I my, my best friend from home from California is here, uh, from Los Angeles, visiting for the weekend. So that say hi to Aaron and uh, Aaron say hi to everyone. I turned to her. I was like, and we we're like, "This is exactly what what God has put on your heart for the message. Just what you were saying there a couple minutes ago." So. I'm grateful for that, but I um so I work with university students and um, they are fabulous and they are fun and they are passionate and they are faith filled and uh, we have during kind of March is a spring break time during the year and we are having students come back from their spring break ministry trips uh, this weekend and we're sending out countless students. I mean we've got students literally going around the world uh, this month taking the gospel and uh, serving people all over the world. So we've got students all over doing great ministry. We have our our largest retreat that we've ever done was last month that we're so grateful for. We just keep growing and growing. Our ministries keep growing. We're just so amazed at what the Lord is doing in university students. I also, I think when I was here last year, told you I did something a little crazy. I moved into a freshman dorm on a campus. Yeah, I see some of you nodding. and You're still laughing at me. I, I see you. Yeah, I, uh, I moved into a freshman dorm on a university campus in D.C., and I, um, I'm the chaplain in that building. It's not, it's a campus that has some value for spiritual growth, but isn't necess- it's not necessarily a, it's not, not, it's not trying to be a Christian, it's not like a Valley Forge kind of campus. And, uh, and I have the opportunity to live among 440 freshmen. Uh, a lot of them don't know Jesus. I'd say the majority of them don't know, don't have a relationship with Jesus. All they know is that I'm their chaplain and I'm safe to talk to. And I've had more beautiful opportunities to share the good news with people. I've also had some opportunities to serve people at the point of greatest need, um, which is pretty powerful when you have somebody who's really broken and they turn to you. I had a young woman uh, about a month ago, uh, 18 years old, uh, goes, away to call from, goes away to college for the first time, and her, her daddy passed away. And um, 18 years old, man, that's, that's just not supposed to happen. And I remember getting the call from um, her mom called the university to say, would you please let her know that her, her dad uh, is, has passed away. And I walked upstairs and, and had to tell this sweet girl that her daddy had passed away. And it was just kind of a rough moment. And I thought, man, there's nowhere else I'd rather be right now than to have this opportunity to minister to this young girl. And so I, I shared those things to let you guys know that you're a part of that. Because, because I'm your adopted missionary to these students and to the staff that I serve Rockville Assembly ministered to that young girl last month because, because of what you guys do in terms of your support and your prayer and your friendship to me. Uh, you guys get to be a part of that. And it's really, really beautiful. I had some students, I spoke at our Chi Alpha meeting there, our campus ministry meeting. I had some students who live in my building who would have never stepped foot in a Christian meeting, but because I was preaching, they wanted to go. And that was really cute. One of them brought a big foam finger to cheer for me right in the middle. Of <laughs> Can you imagine, Olivia, someone brings to church on Sunday morning a big foam finger, right? You know, one of them did it because they're hilarious and they're passionate and they love me and I love them. And it's like, it's like God has given me all these kids to just love on. And it's really cool. So thank you guys once again 
for uh, for being for just being a part of that. I'm really really grateful. So we're going to get into uh, the message this morning. If you turn in your Bibles to the Book of Mark, if you have a Bible, uh, it's in the New Testament. And if you are, uh, we are also going to put it up there on the screen. Um, I know your pastor has been in a series or working through a series called uh, Dream to Destiny. Is that right? You guys, 10 trial. How many, uh, how far are you into this? Uh, a little bit into, a little bit into Dream to Destiny. And I was hoping that this message would fit in and, uh, along with what you're doing. Not to, I'm not taking your thunder. I'm not stealing your thunder there. But, um, <laughs> hopefully it will fit in. And then as I said, um, just felt like some of the stuff that we were talking about this morning uh, that Haley was talking about when she shared fits right into where we're going today. So let's let's pray and then we'll jump into uh, jump into the scripture. Father, we we know you're here and it's just so good to be in your presence. Help us increasingly be aware of your presence here today. Holy Spirit, I pray that um, you would awaken us. You would revive us. We pray that you would um, speak things to us that go above and beyond anything I could say in the natural. We pray that you'd speak things to us that would be encouraging, challenging, liberating, uh, enlightening, and just so loving. And we love you for doing what you do. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, Mark chapter 10. Did I tell you to go to Mark 10? Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at a couple passages here in the story of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, starting verse 46. They came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. I mean, I think it's funny. First of all, they they were rebuking him, and now they're like, cheer up, he's, you know, he's calling you. Like, wait, where were you a minute ago, you know? Cheer up, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, and he came to Jesus. Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus Along the road, we see an interesting encounter here that Jesus has with a man where he asks this question, What do you want me to do for you? I want you to imagine today, just for a moment, imagine Jesus asking you that question What do you want me to do for you? I think for some of us, it is, um, that's a little, almost a little bit of a troubling question. I mean, think about it. if Jesus himself were standing here, looked you in the eye, and said, What do you want me to do for you? What would your reaction be? Because I think there'd be a variety of reactions in the room. I think for some people, your immediate reaction would be, uh, that's, that doesn't seem appropriate for God. You know what I mean? Almost like, um, I, I wouldn't want to presume of God that God would say to me, what do you want me to do for you? You'd be very, very uncomfortable with that. It would almost be like, you know, he's God, he's king, it's irreverent for me to ask. For some people I know, maybe some of us in the room, like you're totally comfortable with that. (laughs) Almost like, you know, almost as if God is our servant rather than our being his servant. You know, you're like, oh yeah, anything, I just ask him what I want and he just gives me what I want. I I see that a little bit more maybe with some of the students I work with, uh, you know, maybe kind of the little bit of the immaturity of some some aspects of their faith. It's like, oh yeah, I just ask him, God just gives me what I want. For some people, I think your view is like, 
Okay, God, you're asking me what I want. But it doesn't matter what I want. You're asking me what I want. And I think sometimes people aren't very comfortable with their desires. They're not very comfortable with their wants. It's almost like when we think about desire, we think about all the desires we're not supposed to have. And anybody who's been in the church for a little while, you probably have heard about all the things we're not supposed to desire. This group is like, hmm, I don't know that God would ever ask me what I want. But Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that a stunning question? I mean, think about it for a second. Jesus looks at you and says, what do you want me to do for you? It's like, it just every once in a while I think about that passage and I think, no, this is Bible. This is truth. <laughs> like God put that in there for a reason. I think he wants us to get something. And my prayer is that we just see something new. Maybe turn the kaleidoscope and see a little bit of a new picture of Jesus. If he asked you that, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer? How would you answer Jesus? Here's the story of Bartimaeus. As we said, he's, he's blind. And when I was reading this passage, I mean, I've, I've been kind of chewing on this passage for about a year and a half. And when I was reading this passage at one point, I remember thinking, okay, here's Bartimaeus, he's blind. I can't imagine how difficult it would be to be blind in first century Palestine. Just, you know, it's not that it would be easy today, but we have some advancements today that we they didn't have then. So I tried to put myself in his position. Where I live today, on the campus where I live, what would it be like if I was blind? How would I get through my day? And I literally put myself in, kind of in that, in that position. And I remember thinking, you know, for some reason, my university, it doesn't, they don't send my mail to where I live. I actually have to go across campus and get it. And so I thought, if I wanted to do something as simple as get my mail, I've got to, you know, if I was, okay, I've got to go down the hall and in the elevator, and then I've got to go through the courtyard how would I do that if I was blind and up the stairs and around a thing where they have cars there? I'd have to be careful. And then through another courtyard. And that's just to get my, that's just to do one thing. How challenging would that be for me to do that? How challenging was Bartimaeus' life? The reason I say that, because it almost, doesn't almost seem easy. Doesn't almost seem obvious if Jesus is going to ask him, what do you want me to do for you? Doesn't it seem obvious that it would be like, well, I want to see, right? I mean, living in first century Palestine in, in that day, of course, Bartimaeus would want to see. But Jesus still asks him to identify what it is he wants. Jesus still asks him this question. Here's Bartimaeus living really in, in, in poverty. He's begging day after day. Seems obvious he'd want to be healed. Jesus, why would you ask? Jesus doesn't ask frivolous questions, does he? I mean, even back to the beginning of Scripture, when, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, and God says to them, where are you? It was not a frivolous question. It wasn't like God was trying to get information, you know? God was trying to ask a question that was revelatory for them. And I think similarly, Jesus is trying to ask Bartimaeus a question that is revelatory for him. What do you want me to do for you? Here's your chance. Pick anything. How many of you, like me, would struggle with that answer? How many of you would be like, okay, this is what I want, but this is probably what I should ask for? You know, how many of you guys saw the old movie Miss Congeniality? Anybody see that old funny movie? You know, when she's, here she's, she's an FBI uh, undercover cop uh, in, in, in a beauty pageant, and everybody's, you know, answering the question, you know, what's your greatest wish for the world? And everyone's like, world peace. You know, everyone, world peace. And she's like, harsher penalty for recidivists or something, harsher penalty for parole violators. And everyone kind of stares at her. 
and world peace. And everyone's like, oh, you know, it's like that kind of question. You know, it's like, what do you want me to do for you? World peace, you know. I mean, how do you answer that question to Jesus? Jesus' question, as I said, it's revelatory. There's something, there's something that Jesus is trying to get at in Bartimaeus, and I think Jesus would get at that in us as well. There's something about naming our deepest desire in the presence of God. There's something about naming our deepest desire. What do you want me to do for you? Well, it seems obvious that I want to see, but you're making me say it in your presence. There's something about naming our deepest desire in God's presence in the same way there's something about naming our deepest sin in God's presence. There's something about naming our deepest fear in God's presence. There's something about being gut-level honest with God that I am convinced is an act of worship. That may be, that, this may stretch you guys. This may make you totally uncomfortable, and that's okay. There's something about being that honest with God that I am convinced is an act of worship because it's faith-filled it's vulnerable. It's bold. Like, like Pastor Stan said this morning, we can come before the throne of grace with boldness and confidence. We can come before God with boldness. Again, it's stunning to me. We should, in and of ourselves, kind of go like this to God. Instead, we can go like this. Yes, I run to God. That's how good our God is. It, there's, it's vulnerable, it's faith-filled, it's bold. It's saying, God, I desire something that I don't have, but you are the provider. It's an act of worship to name our deepest desire in the presence of God. And I am convinced, you guys, that that is the kind of heart that God is drawn to. He, he, he is familiar with our timidity, but he's looking for our faith. He is looking for our boldness before him and saying, God, this is who, this is who you made me to be. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to run freely in that. Amen. Is that making sense? Are you? So for Bartimaeus, naming his desire in God's presence caused him to reach down deep and be completely honest, to cry out to God from the core of who he is. And friends, I don't know that I see enough of that in the church. Is that okay to say out loud? <laughs> I don't know if I see enough of that message in the church that says you can be just gut level, bold, honest with God, and he can take it. In fact, I think probably a lot of us heard the absolute opposite. You know? It's like we just, oh, we've got we to be so, like we have to be super polite with God or something. And I, I'm not talking about being not respectful. I'm just talking about sometimes we just get really careful, like, oh, God can't handle my honesty. God's like, I've been waiting for you to say it out loud in my presence. I've been waiting for you to get gut level honest with me because when you get gut level honest with me, now I can work with you. And that's just good stuff, man. That's a good God. That is a good God. I think I see too often, and I've seen this in my own life, this is part of my transformation, some fear of being that gut level honest with, with God. And I know one thing we're trying to do with our campus community, with our college students, is say, just kind of instill that now. You know what? Bring your deepest fear into the presence of God. Bring your greatest sin into the presence of God. Bring your deepest desire into the presence of God and let God work in you and see what he does. We will never escape desire in this life. I mean, till the day we die, isn't there going to be something we always want? So my thought is, let's figure out how to deal with our desires. We're going to look at two lenses here this morning, uh, just as we continue into this. We're going to jump back a little bit more into uh, Mark 10 in a moment. Um, so if you have a Bible, I didn't put this other passage up on the, on the screen, but if you have a Bible, stick with Mark 10. 
But we're going to look at kind of two ways that we're, we're going to look at desires to kind of help ground us. It's a little bit of a, a healthy tension, I think, here. Um, number one, our desires force us to be honest about ourselves. And I've kind of alluded to this. Our desires force us to be honest with ourselves. They tell us who we are, good or bad. As I mentioned, I think a, a message a lot of times in the church is to deny all of your desires. And please understand, that there, are, there are some things that we do need to deny. There are things that are not in line with the word of God that we do need to deny. But I think what we do sometimes is we, just, we misappropriate some of the scriptures to say, I just need to die to everything, need to die. And then we end up not being who God made us to be. You know what I mean? I, th- I hear about these kids in the fine arts that you guys were talking about. And, and Kelsey, I don't know if Kelsey's still here. If he's out, Kelsey's back there. That was so beautiful. That was so beautiful. God gave him that. And that's a piece of who he is that he is able to be, he's able to reflect Christ and reflect who God made him to be in a way that I just can't do that. You know what I mean? I would get up there and, and you know, I just, I just do not have that ability. But if he said, oh, you know, I have this desire to do this. I have this passion for writing these spoken words. If he was like, no, but I just needed to die to myself, God would not be able to be reflected beautifully through him if he just said, no, I just got to die to that desire. And I think sometimes we misappropriate which desires need to die. That's not a desire that needs to die. That's a desire that needs to be free so God can be reflected beautifully through Kelsey. So good. It was so good. There are people that are going to be reached through that. And just the fact is you are free to be who God made you to be in that way. That is just, it's just beautiful. So not all of our desires are godly or healthy. And I, I want to jump back to, to Mark 10 real brief, briefly for that because I want to look at the balance of this here. Uh, right above the story with Bartimaeus, James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, um, they come to Jesus with a request. And it says in verse 35, it says, James and John came to Jesus. They said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I mean, that's bold. Okay, I've got to give them that. Verse 36, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? It's the same question. It's in Mark 10. It's the same question in two different stories. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Verse 38, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. The other disciples heard this request. The other ten heard about it, and they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Jesus goes into this beautiful, teachable moment when James and John say, we want to be at your right and your left. Basically, pick us over everybody else. That was their desire. Okay? That was what they wanted. Jesus goes into this beautiful teachable moment where he doesn't so much condemn them for their desire as he uses it as a teachable moment to live for something better. Jesus goes on to tell them, look, you want authority. You want to be picked. You want to be sitting at my left and my right. But here's something better. Be a servant. Jesus, I can see Jesus pointing himself. He said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. James and John come to Jesus with their desire. It's not a great desire. (laughs) It's a little selfish. And Jesus takes the opportunity to say, you know what? Your desire is a little disordered. It's a little selfish. Let me show you a better way. But here's the thing. They were able, had they never been honest with God about that, they would have never been transformed. They would have never had the opportunity for Jesus to walk them into something better. I think that is really important for us to see, really important for us to hear. Just because we have a desire doesn't make it right, but in our honesty before God, he's able to set things in order and say, I have something better for you than that. That's, that's base. 
That's base. I've got something better for you. No honesty means no transformation. So our desires force us to be honest with God. And the second thing is this. Our desires may in fact be an indicator of God's purpose for our lives. They just may. God has uniquely designed each one of us for something. My friend Erin, I mentioned Erin. She and I, we were alike in some ways, but we're completely different in other ways. And it's just so much fun seeing God work in the way that God works through her life. She does things I could never do. I do things she, she doesn't do. And it's just, it's just really beautiful how it's like God wires us a certain way and then says, Now, let me reflect my beauty through how I've wired you. Let me reflect my beauty through creativity. Let me reflect my beauty through art. Let me reflect my beauty through how you serve your community. Let me reflect my beauty how you serve your spouse. Let me reflect my beauty how you teach second grade kids. Let me reflect my beauty. Just on and on. It's just so glorious to see God working like that in his people. He has uniquely designed us for something that brings us joy and brings him glory. And when the things that he makes us for that bring us joy and bring him glory meet, that is a powerful life. That is a totally powerful life. And friends, again, I see way too many people, and I've been in the church long enough, to see way too many people who just don't want to go there. Because it's like, oh, I don't know. that my, oh, I don't know if it's going to Your joy, his glory, powerful life. It's a beautiful life there. We... Um, Several years ago, I was uh, with a friend, and I, we went to an art exhibit. In, uh, I think I was living on the West Coast at the time. I think it was in San Francisco. It was a Picasso exhibit. And um, I have, I'm not, that's not the greatest strength of my life in terms of art. I went with, with uh, and I'm growing in that. I'll come back to that in a minute. But I went with this friend, and she just, she's a total artist, loves it. So we went to see Picasso, and um, I don't know. I forgot to put a picture there, but Picasso, he's, he's a little different in his thing. You know what I mean? Like, I remember looking at the, his, you know, his paintings, and I was like, I don't get it. And my, my friend, my roommate at the time, she was just loving it. She was like, oh, this is great, and I feel the whatever. And, and I was like, why is her... I and her belly button. You know, I mean, I just totally, you know, I don't know if you go, go look up Picasso online. I was like, I don't understand, you know. And I remember walking away just, you know, a little critical, like how arrogant of me, right? I'm, I'm critical of Picasso, right? You know, so I, and I remember walking away and I remember the Lord saying to me, you know, Stephanie, the, um, you know, just sometimes people don't understand the art. And when they don't understand the art, they criticize the artist, Just because you don't understand the art is not the fault of the artist. Okay? Let me tie that into Ephesians 2.10 for a moment. Scripture tells us, Paul tells us, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. When it says we are God's workmanship, that word workmanship, um, it's from a Greek word where we get our word poem. It means it's translated as a work of art. We are God's work of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's work of art. Sometimes somebody does not understand the work of art. It's not the fault of the artist. You are God's work of art created to do good works. And just because someone doesn't understand how God may be his created you, the gifts he's given you, the wiring he's given you. Maybe somebody doesn't know it's not the fault of the artist, capital A. God has made you beautifully. 
And he's made you to do good works to make him look beautiful in your world. Man, that's good news. That's really good news. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, we definitely keep encouraging our kids to write spoken words and to sing songs and to paint and to sketch. But I don't think it's just for the teenagers. <laughs> I, um, I mentioned something about the artist, artist and creativity thing. I, when I was little, every, probably every kid does this. When I was little, I used to write plays, used to write songs, you know, used to do all the creative things. I heard someone say every child is an artist, and I used to be an artist back in the day. And there were a couple things, a couple people who said some things to me as I was growing up where it just kind of quenched that. It was like, no, you're not very good at that. And I was like, okay, I'm not very good at that. You know, I don't know. Anybody ever have one of those kind of situations in your life? Yeah, a lot of you guys get it. But there was something over the past few years that has just been really, I've just kind of had this desire to grow in creativity and just desire to grow in some areas of art. So I did something I never thought I would do a couple months ago. I joined an improv class. I'm taking comedy improv. Yeah, I know, right? You're like, yeah, you're not that funny. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm taking this comedy improv class because it just, it, I just wanted to. It was a desire of my heart. It's just one of those things that I wanted to explore because I feel like there's something in there in the creativity realm that God wanted me to pay attention to. Because when I pay attention to that area of my life, God looks good. When I try to quench it, it's like saying, God, you did a bad job in making me. And so I'm trying to open up to that room. So this week, I've got, I've got my first performance. I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm having a ball. I'm absolutely having a ball. I'm going, I, I, there's like 20 people in my class, and we're just, you know, I, we, you know we go in there, and, and someone tells us, you know, something random, and we just do something funny about it. And sometimes it's a spectacular failure. And what I've learned in that is when you fail, when you try to make a joke and it doesn't work, what everybody does is you bow, everybody claps for you, and you move on. You know what I mean? And so it's actually really liberating because like, I'm like more comfortable with failure than I've ever been in my life because I'm like, you know, if I fail in something, that's okay. I take a bow and move on. And that is so much better than the fear I used to live in. You know, it's so much better than like, oh no, what if I fail in public? Or oh no, what if I say the wrong thing? Or, yeah, I mean, that is so binding. And now I'm just getting getting more free and exploring an area of the way God made me and I think God looks good. I don't know what he's going to do with it. I don't. I have no idea. I just want to explore that area because it's something God put in my heart. Sometimes we don't know what God's going to do. Sometimes we do. I have a good friend who, whose son is uh, he's about 15 years old. He's this delightful young man. He's got Asperger's syndrome and uh, so a form of autism. And he just so he has special, as she says, special strengths to go with his special needs. And um, he is brilliant when it comes to video editing. It's one of those things where it's like nobody knows where he learned it other than it goes with his special strengths. And it's just really lovely. I mean, people who are professionals in that realm look at what he does and they think, they say, how did he learn that? And he just, it just goes with his wiring. It just goes with the way God's made him. And he does all these things. He wants to make movies so he can make money to give to the poor. That's what he wants to do. Because it troubles him that there are kids in the world who don't have milk, peanut butter, or computers, he said. (laughs) He said, there are kids who don't have milk, peanut butter, and computers, and so he wants to make money with his video editing ability so he could serve. Sometimes we know exactly where that could take us. Sometimes we don't. But still, God looks good when we step out, out of our fear, out of our fear of failure, into what God made us to. And then, you guys, there's just something really freeing about that. 
sometimes it's just been so easy for me to say, okay, well, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, you know, what if it, what if it doesn't work out? You know, how many of you guys have done that? What if it doesn't work out? Maybe God has put something in your heart that really will bless your community. Maybe God's put something in your heart that really will bless your family. Maybe God's put something in your heart that's just going to be joyful for you to do. And that's cool, too. That's cool, too. Some final thoughts in this as you consider what God has placed in your heart. Think about this for a moment. When Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Can you get gut level honest with him? Sometimes the answer to that question comes down to something deep and meaningful like, God, I want you to heal somebody in my family. What do you want me to do for you? I want you to heal somebody in my family. Get that gut level honest with God. Sometimes the answer is, God, I want to step over my fear and be who you made me to be. Sometimes the answer is, God, I need a healing in my marriage. Sometimes the answer is, you know, fill in the blank. Here's the thing, guys. I I just don't think we answer that question enough with honesty in the presence of God. Some of you have a deep, rich inner life with Jesus. I'm going to encourage you, go home this week, write down in your journal, what do you want me to do for you? And then be in the presence of God and say, God, this is what I'm asking for. For some of you, that's completely new. Maybe, you know, maybe you're new to this faith, with Je- faith in Jesus thing. I would be thrilled if you learned early in your walk with God that you can be that honest with God, that bold in his presence, and let him transform you into being who you were made to be. Let him transform you with that level of honesty. All of this is deeply rooted in a relationship with God. Really, the, the, the cross has to be the center of this. Otherwise, we just get selfish, don't we? You know what I mean? The cross has to be the center of this. Otherwise, it's like saying to the sun, it's like the earth saying to the sun, revolve around me. If the, if the sun revolves around the earth, chaos ensues. But as we, as, as the center of gravity is our God, then everything comes in order. Everything comes into place. All of this is deeply rooted If you don't have a relationship with Christ, man, if I can say it this way, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you will never fully be who you were meant to be. Just you'll never be who you were meant to be. You were made for so much more. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, you will always be ruled by your desires instead of being free to live as God made you to be. There's just, it it all is rooted in Christ. It's all rooted in the cross. And there's freedom to trust in the Father's character. I have a good friend. In fact, you may know uh, John Rice is uh, our director for Chi Alpha at uh, Georgetown. I think he's been here. And I was having dinner with him and his wife, Jenny, and their little girl, Sophia, one day. And uh, Sophia's three, and she's just a delight. And, and I'm auntie to her. And, um, and uh, I, we were having dinner, and Sophia had eaten a great dinner. And all of you parents understand, like, that's a major victory in your day when your little one eats a great dinner. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so she had eaten a great dinner, and her mom said, Sophia, well done. Wow, you just, thanks, you ate all your dinner. She said, do you want something else? And Sophia said, yes, I want something else. She said, well, what do you want? And Sophia sat there and looked right at me because she knows I have candy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> she knows that Auntie has candy, right? And, I mean, she didn't even say a word. She just looked at me, you know. And, and all three of us just cracked up the moment because we knew she was saying, I want candy. And I remember at that time thinking, you know, she was so bold in that. You know, there wasn't anything in her that was like, um, um, 
kind of, oh, I, would I really want some candy, but I'm afraid you're going to say no. I just, uh, you know, there was nothing in her to hesitate. She looked at me. I want candy, you know. And I remember thinking at the time, like, how much the father must be pleased when we trust him like that. There wasn't anything in her that was fearful of my response. Now, I could have, as the adult, said either no or not yet. And, and I could. I could have said, oh, that's too close, to, too close to bed. You don't need the sugar high and then the crash and the whole thing like that. Again, you parents understand that. I mean, I, I could have said no, but there wasn't anything in her that said, I don't think I can trust sharing my request with my auntie. That hadn't been worked out of her yet. It's not until we get old and mature that that childlike faith gets worked out of us. Isn't that right? That childlike faith just said, I'm going to, this is what I want. And she trusts me to do the right thing. If we could get that, guys. If we could get that. If, if we could get it that we could go to God with that childlike trust. If we've lost it, dear Jesus, please give it back to us. Give it back to us, that sweet, simple trust that says, I know you have something good for me. I know and I trust you that you'll give me what I need when I need. You'll give me even some of my wants. <laughs> sometimes you have to say no, sometimes you have to say not yet, but there's going to be nothing in me that hesitates from asking you and trusting you for something good. My prayer for us today is that we would be that free with that much trust. To be who, as I said many times already, to be who God's made us to be. To be honest, gut-level honest with our desires before God and to trust Him. He knows what's best for us. He made us beautifully. And when we live as He made us, He is beautifully reflected through our lives. Let's pray. Father, I'm just even sharing that story about little Sophia. I'm reminded once again of how much I want to, to have, to maintain, to grow in that simple childlike trust. God, what you have is good for me. What you have for us is good for us. You have put desires in our hearts that when they are reflected, make you look so good. And God, I, I just know, because I know you, you have placed things in each person here. And I think a lot of us, we quench those for different reasons. Maybe some people here, like me, heard somebody say, no, you're not good at that. And something in us just got shut down. Maybe out of our own fear that says, I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail in front of people. Or I don't want to fail even in front of myself. I, don't, I just don't want to fail. God, maybe some of us here in the room fear failure more than we want freedom. God, we pray for liberty here. God, for those of us who... Um, we just have never asked the question or have never answered the question. We've never given you the opportunity to say, what do you want me to do for you? God, there's some deep needs in here, in this place. And when we are that gut level honest, God, you can work. You can work in our hearts. You can work in our families. You can work in our healing. You can work in our desires. And I'm quite convinced that you will look good. And we pray this, Jesus. Pray that you would. I pray this would be a church where people could, um, yeah, I pray this would be a church where people really would 
be free to be who you've made them to be. And then as they join together in a healthy community here, the Rockville Assembly, that that, God, man, that just makes their neighborhood drawn to them. Where people would say, I don't have to be a cookie cutter to be a part of that church. I can be who God's made me to be, and I can bring something to the table, and um, God will look good. And I pray that would be attractive to the neighborhood, attractive to Rockville, attractive to the surrounding areas, in a way that would cause Christ to be lifted up and draw people to him. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Wow. That was great. Thank you, Stephanie. You are the materializer of the invisible. <laughs>